Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. At First Baptist, we exist to love God, love people, and make disciples. We hope you find yourselves blessed, encouraged, and challenged by this week's message. For all things First Baptist, how you can get involved, or for more information, you can follow us on social media, YouTube, or visit us at fbcrockhill.org. Did you enjoy that extra hour sleep? Or did you sit up later and watch ball games? I love this Sunday. It's been a great one, not just because of the extra hour of sleep, but in our 8.30 service this morning, I was able to baptize Jerry Rose. He and I have known each other for more than 30 years, and uh, see him follow in believer's baptism was a real blessing, and thankful for that opportunity. Uh, Monisa and I have family from Lexington, Kentucky with us today, Glenn and, and uh, uh, Jamie Combs, welcome. And uh, we ate dinner, watched Kentucky win a ball game last night, so it was a good night. Yes, go Big Blue. Now today, I'm going to talk about a subject that can maybe be a little uncomfortable. I want to talk about when people hate God. And some of you might think, well, I know a few people hate God, but do most do a lot? Here's the thing. There are people who would never say they hate God, but really do because they hate God's truth. They hate what God says in the Bible, especially in our culture about sex, sexual ethics and, and other things. For instance, uh, I don't watch a lot, of the, a lot of the award shows on television every year, but one of you know, the big ones is the Grammys giving awards to people in practically every genre of music that, that exists. And they actually give awards to, to five categories of, of Christian music in the gospel category and contemporary Christian music. And what caught my attention was the, the, the Grammys came out and, you know, they always announce the, nom- the five nominees, I think it is, ahead of time. The Grammys will be in February, so they already released the nominees for all the categories. And in the, the one for the best album or top album, whatever they called it, for contemporary Christian music, one of the Grammys nominees, um, and this will this, this will surprise you, is a drag queen. A man pretending to be a woman. Now, this man, he grew up in a very conservative, fundamentalist, very strict home and church. And today he's he's rejected all of that. He's LBGTQ plus affirming. Doesn't surprise you. Uh, if, he's, if he's a drag queen, that he affirms all of that. And what he says is that he has his own version. He says, my own version of Christianity. Because he rejects what the Jewish people and Christian people for you know thousands of years have said, this is what God says about ethics, about morality, about right and wrong. And, and so he hates that truth. He rejects that truth and, and still says he's religious and Christian, but he's got his own version of it. And a lot of times the hatred that people have for God is really hatred at the truth of God and what God says. And, it, and they may not frame it that way. Now, sometimes hatred of God's truth is very blunt and in your face, harsh. Other times it's very subtle. Can you think, just of any reason, there are many reasons, but can you think of a reason someone might hate God's truth, what God says, might hate God? And re- just think of a reason, okay? Now, I want you to share with the person sitting beside you one reason you came up with. Go ahead, you got a few seconds to do that. What's the reason somebody might hate God or hate God's truth? Go ahead and talk. Talk, 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 talk. Let me hear you.
Now, none of the, the Christian music award shows recognize this, this artist, and I'm not saying their name because I don't want to platform them, uh, but it doesn't surprise me that a secular entity like uh, the Grammys would do so. And, and that's kind of a, you know, a, a subtle comment on what they think about Christianity. Now, I don't, I don't know what's happened, but in the last three or four days, they have moved that nominee from the category of top contemporary Christian album over to one of the secular categories. I don't know if they got pushback or what happened. I'm grateful they moved it, but it still speaks to how they view all of this. So here's what I think. I think there are two primary reasons people either hate God or hate God's, God's truth, God's word. And you can put them under different categories, but I think all the, all the different issues, all the different reasons fall under these two headings. One is God's truth contradicts what they want to do, how they want to live and feel and think and act and believe. So they have these ideas. They want to do this. They want to live this way. And God's word says, sorry, no contradicts them so I have to reject God's word hate God's word I think another reason and you're going to see both of these in the text this morning another reason is is and this goes to the very heart of the human predicament there's just something about submitting to the authority to the absolute authority to God that some people will just never be able to do they just won't do it I mean God could be here and prove to them his existence and they still would not submit because there's a level of pride in humanity that says, even if I know there's a God, I cannot totally submit to the authority of that God because I've got to stay in charge a little bit. And I think those are the two broad categories, the two reasons some people reject God, hate God, reject, hate his word. So in our Bible reading plan this week, one of the chapters you read was Psalm 83. My Tuesday, I think it was, devotion was about that. I want to preach from that chapter this morning, Psalm 83. So go ahead and open your Bible. Let me see your copy of God's word. Hold it up, printed electronic. Hold it up. Come on. Always bring God's word with you to church. It's praying for God to protect the nation, the people of Israel from their enemies who were trying to destroy them. World hasn't changed a lot, has it? This Psalm was written 700 years before Jesus was born. So this stuff has been going on a long, long time. And I want us to learn from the way he prayed for God to protect Israel against her enemies and uh, let God teach us. And we're going to talk about Israel. We're going to talk about enemies of the church and in, some people who don't like the fact that you love Jesus and believe the Bible. Psalm 83, he begins in verse one. Look at it with me. He said, oh God, do not remain quiet. Do not be silent. And oh God, do not be still. In other words, God, we need you to do something. And we want you to do it now. God, don't be quiet. Show up, intervene, do something. Why? Verse two. For behold, your enemies make an uproar. A lot of noise. A lot of noise in our culture today by those who don't agree with what Christians have always believed, what the Bible has always said. A lot of noise. And those who hate you have exalted themselves. Remember I said the, the heart issue for humanity is pride and that man does not want to submit to the authority of, of an absolute God. We want to exalt ourselves. 
I mean, Lucifer and his rebellion against God in heaven, the angelic rebellion was because he wanted to sit where God sat, do what God did. That, that's typically at the heart of the human problem. Exalt myself and therefore diminish God so that God has to always agree with me. Verse three, he said they make shrewd plans, wise, cunning plans against your people. And they conspire together against your treasured ones. They have said, come and let us wipe them out as a nation that the name of Israel be remembered no more. There are people, nations today that want to destroy Israel so that it will no longer exist as a country. Verse five, for they have conspired together with one mind against you, they make a covenant. So these are enemies of the nation of Israel, and he says, as such, they are enemies of God. And I want us to, to learn from, from this. And so to, to apply this to our lives as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we have to understand what he's saying in this prayer about the nation of Israel and God's relationship with them. He goes on in the next few verses to, dis, to list some of the enemies, some of the nations in that time period, 700 years before Jesus that were trying to destroy the nation of Israel. And then he, he mentions some times before that when other nations tried it, particularly during the days of the judges in the Old Testament and what God did. And so he's praying, God intervene like you did way back then today with the nations. Now, the Jewish people have lived in the promised land for more than 3,200 years. Did you know that? More than 3,200 years, going all the way back to the exodus from Egypt, 1200, 1300 BC, it became their homeland. The first mention of the nation of Israel in archaeology is 1200 years before Jesus in Egypt. So there's no disputing the ancestry of the Jewish people and the promised land. 3,200 to 3,300 years they have lived there. And they've always had enemies, whether it was Egypt or in our Bible reading plan in recent months in the Old Testament, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, in the days of Jesus, the Roman Empire, more recent history, Hitler and the Nazis. And you don't hear as much about this, but communist nations over the years have slaughtered Countless Jews. Anyone who thinks communism is a good thing has not read any history. And at times, sadly, unfortunately, some Christians, even Martin Luther, have one season in his life when he persecuted Jews. And today, definitely Islam. And you think all that's going on, you know, in the Middle East today with Hamas and Hezbollah and the other groups. Do you know that today in the United Nations, 28 countries who are, 28 nations who are members of the United Nations still refuse to acknowledge Israel's existence as a nation? 28 of them. That's a lot. Last year, 2022, the General Assembly of the United Nations adopts resolutions all the time. And they adopted, listen to this, last year alone, the UN General Assembly adopted more resolutions criticizing and condemning Israel 
than they did resolutions against all other nations on earth combined. Now you think about all the evil atrocities happening in places like North Korea, other nations on this planet, and the UN adopted more resolutions against the nation of Israel than all these other nations combined? I'd say Israel still has a lot of enemies. See, God and his people, God and his truth has always had enemies throughout history. Still does. Israel did. She still does. What, what about us, God's people, you know, followers of Jesus, those of us who believe Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the Savior? Jesus, look at these verses on the screen in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus said, you will be hated by all because of my name. Now, hey, go to high school. Go, go to your high school Monday, tomorrow, and say, hey, guys, if you follow Jesus, everybody's going to hate you. Does that sound good? Come on, let's do this. But Jesus said, not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody will cheer you on because you believe in Jesus. Not everybody will cheer you on because you hold to biblical truth. You believe what Almighty God says. Not everybody's going to say, yay, that's great. Some will, some won't. And some will be in your face. Some will be more subtle about it. Jesus also said in John 15, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. Jesus also, two verses from John chapter three, you know the famous verse, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But later in that same passage, Jesus also said this. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world. Now, light is synonymous with, with Jesus. Light is synonymous with truth and purity. Darkness in scripture is often synonymous with sin and evil. And here's the thing, you can't separate who Jesus is from what Jesus does and what he says. In John chapter 1, the Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Talking about Jesus. See, there's, there, what Jesus says always matches who He is. And there's a lot of people who want to create their own version of Jesus, their own version of Christianity, and believe this and believe that and say this and say that and do this and do that and disconnect Jesus from what he says. And that's a lie. You can't do that. You can't have Almighty God and say, God, I don't agree with you. Doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. And so Jesus said, this is judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. What did I say? Some people hate God's truth or hate God. It's because his truth, his word contradicts how they want to live, what they want to do. And so Jesus said, people will reject me and they will reject the light and they will love the darkness. Why? Because they like their sin more than they like truth more than they like God and so they'll live in a delusion in deception in a lie and then Jesus said for everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed 
So that's the background. Now I wanna, I wanna get practical for a few minutes. And uh, I'm gonna pull up the chair and I don't wanna hear any moans and groans because for the next few minutes, I'm gonna go history professor on you. All right? Any of y'all actually like history? Yeah. Yay! You're my kind. No. Uh, sorry. We're going to do history for a few minutes. Because here's the thing. You don't know how badly what you don't know can mess you up. You don't know how badly what you don't know can mess you up. See, the evil one wants to keep you ignorant of the truth and of what's happened. One of the tactics that is used to maybe attack Israel or to try to make Christianity and history look really bad has to do with history. And there's two parts of this tactic. One is just to ignore large portions of history and just focus on certain parts of history that affirm what you want to think. But let's ignore the rest of history. Let's not even talk about it. Another tactic is to twist, distort history to make it palatable to you. And that's one of the reasons... And I know some of you get tired of hearing me say this, but I, for, for, for the last few years, I keep saying, would you stop, stop, stop believing everything you read on Facebook or Twitter? Everything you read in a blog, if anybody still blogs or listen to on a podcast or read in a magazine or hear on a TV station or see in a movie. If you get your history from movies, oh my mercy. Even when they say it's based on a true story, only about a quarter of what they do is true. The rest of it's made up or twisted. All right. That's a free sermon for you. So let's talk about Israel and then we'll talk about Christians. You'll hear in the popular narrative uh, a sense that Israel doesn't have a claim to the land. The Palestinians have been there. It's their homeland. Or it's just some version of that. I've already mentioned that, that Jewish people lived in the promised land as a nation 12 to 1300 years before Jesus, more than 3,000 years ago. Islam has not even existed half that long. Did you know that? To say that the Jewish people don't have a claim to that as their ancestral land is out of touch with reality. In fact, it was their home as a nation, now not just as a people, but as a nation, until the Romans got tired of the Jews rebelling against Roman rule. And in AD 135, 100 years after Jesus, the Romans executed about 1 million Jews in Jerusalem. Now, let that sink in. The Romans executed about one million Jews in Jerusalem. And the emperor Hadrian changed the name of the city of Jerusalem to another name. 
and he changed the, the name of the land from Israel and Judea to Syria, Palestina. Syria, Palestina. That's when the word started. But even after that, Jewish people still lived in Jerusalem and in the promised land along with Christians. And even to this day, there has never been a decade when Muslims were the majority population in the city of Jerusalem. Not one decade in all of human history where Muslims were the largest population in the city of Jerusalem. But you'll never hear that. In the 600s, 600 years after Jesus, the Muslim army surrounded the city of Jerusalem and the city surrendered. Now, there wasn't a battle when people were killed that day. Why? Because the army was surrendered and there was no hope of winning. So the city of Jerusalem, the Christians and the Jews there surrendered. And that's when it became Islamic territory. And yet throughout all of that, in the days since, they've never been the majority population there. Everybody thinks that there were no Jews there until 1948 when the partition happened. No, there have always been Jews and Christians living there. Always. And what about Christians? Now, there have been a lot of people in the name of Christianity done horrible things over the years. Really have. But the popular narrative, the popular narrative We'll, we'll talk a lot about the Crusades, how evil the Crusades were. And the Crusades were simply in the Middle Ages an attempt to take Jerusalem back from the Muslims. That's all it was. And there was one episode in particular when those Crusaders slaughtered innocent people, Muslims and Jews as well. There was nothing holy about the Crusades. I understand why they may want to recapture Jerusalem from the Muslims, but there was nothing holy about what they did. But you'll hear that in the narrative. You'll hear about, um, you'll hear about Christopher Columbus and the destruction of the Native Americans. And were Native Americans treated badly over the last several centuries on this continent? Yes. Were they here before us? Yes. You'll hear about... Uh, the British Empire, British colonialism, especially in Africa and Asia, parts of Asia and in the Middle East. And did the British Empire subjugate people and cheat them of their resources? Yes. But those are the things you'll hear about in the public narrative and you won't hear much else. And the picture that gets painted is that it's always white European Christians who are the bad, evil people messing up the world. And remember I said one of the tactics is let's just ignore the rest of human history. Let's just talk about the parts of human history that justify what we want to think and do. In our Bible reading plan, and if you don't want to read the Bible, you can read you know, the history of civilizations. We've talked a lot about Babylon, that conquered nation after nation and slaughtered millions of people and subjugated millions of people into slavery. And the Babylonian Empire was based in what today would be southern Iraq, near Baghdad. But you don't read about that. Let's not talk about that. Let's not talk about the most evil empire possibly in the history of humanity, the Assyrians. 
They would take babies and dash their heads against rocks. They conquered nation after nation. And its center, its capital would be in what today would be Iran. But let's not talk about that. Let's, let's not talk about Persia. Persia. Let's not talk about the evils of Persia. By the way, Persia's Iran. Assyria is northern Iraq, just to be accurate. Let's not talk about Egypt. There were times the Egyptian empire reached all the way across the Euphrates River into modern Iraq and down into other parts of Africa. Let's not, let's not talk about that. Let's not talk about the Romans. Let's, let's not talk about the groups from China and Mongolia that, that not only invaded the Middle East, but into Eastern Europe. Let's just not talk about that in our history. Let's not talk about the Moors who were Muslims that conquered Spain and Portugal and ruled them for 800 years. Let's, let's not talk about the fact that the reason Islam rules the Middle East is through military conquest centuries ago. But let's not talk about that. Let's not talk about the fact that there were tribal wars and various empires over the centuries on the continent of Africa. Last year, I read Crazy Horse's autobiography. It was a great read. I learned a lot. But let's not talk about the fact that Native Americans, even before Columbus sailed the ocean blue, that one tribe would fight another tribe for hunting grounds and tribes were displaced. But let's not talk about that. Because in all of human history, the only people who've ever done evil things are white European Christians. What's my point? Humanity's always been messed up. That's my point. Ever since the very first sin, we have been sinful. And there have been evil people, evil leaders, evil movements, evil nations, always have been, still are, and Jesus said would be until he comes back and puts an end to it all. And sometimes those, that evil is religious. Sometimes it's not religious. It's, it's secular. This is, this is popular. I mean, if you've ever heard this, I want you to raise your hand. You ever heard some version, someone said it's on television, you read it in a book, whatever. Somebody said something like this. More people have been killed in the name of religion than for any other reason. You ever heard some version of that? Raise your hand. Do you know that, that, that historically that is not true? But it's popular in our culture and half of you believe it. But it's false. No researcher ever says that. It's just popular stuff because in our culture if you say something and you repeat it enough it becomes true whether it's true or not because why we don't want to do the research we don't want to know history we like to believe what we want to believe and do what we want to do 
And so our culture will distort things to get you to compromise or to conform. By the way, Adolf Hitler and the Nazis, more than 6 million Jews, more than 11 million people, I think it's 9, 11 million people killed. That was not in the name of religion. Hitler did all that because he was a nut. He was crazy. He was a racial bigot. Had nothing to do with religion. The millions that Stalin and the the Bolshevik Revolution and the communists have killed in history, that wasn't about religion, that was about control. The Japanese occupation of China and other Pacific nations the slaughter of millions and the raping of women by the thousands. That wasn't because of religion. Yeah, evil. Now, what do we do? How do you and I as disciples of Jesus deal with all this? In this psalm, he prayed. I'm going to teach you about that. But... You and I are blessed to live in America where we have the freedom to vote, to speak. Men and women have died in many wars so you are free to speak, to live, to vote. And the idea of safe spaces where you can't say anything is so un-American. So... One of the ways you silence people is nothing can be said that would ever offend people. The problem is you'll never say anything because eventually everybody's going to be offended by something. Grow up. You want to be in leadership? You want to be in business? You want to be a husband or a wife? I guarantee you your spouse is going to tell you some things someday that hurt your feelings. Right? Right? I did it once this week. It happens. If you can't learn to deal with that, you're going to struggle your whole life. Now, I'm not saying we need to be rude and mean and unkind. We shouldn't. We should be gracious. But that doesn't mean we bury the truth in the ground because somebody can't deal with it. How do you help somebody when you let them go on believing a lie? How does that help anybody? Somebody's in the lake. They can't swim. Don't know how to swim. They're going to drown. Oh, but you know how. Yes, you can. That sure helps them, doesn't it? That's our culture. So yes, vote and Speak up, serve. Some people think because of some of my teaching, I don't, I don't believe in doing those things. I do. My, my problem, my conviction the last few years is that some Christians have, have gotten so outspoken and, and, and they spend so much time fighting battles, they, they, they spend all their time mad and angry at the world. And that doesn't work. You're letting the world corrupt you. See, I think the answer is part of what this psalmist did. He prayed. See, here, I'm gonna, here's, here's, here's the, the, the point. If you're not praying 
as much as you're shouting, if you're not praying as much as you're protesting or speaking, then you're going to ultimately be corrupted because the thing you're fighting will corrupt you to act more like they act by being mad all the time and living in absolute fear. And, and I don't know where Scripture teaches that you and I as disciples of Jesus are supposed to live in fear, where we're supposed to live filled with hate. We're supposed to have a joy that the world doesn't understand and a peace that surpasses all understanding that comes from heaven. So let's look at this guy's prayer and let me tie this up and give you some practical helps as we, as we wrap this up now that the history lesson's over. Test will be as soon as service is over. All right, here's his prayer. And I, I'm gonna warn you, it's a very blunt, pointed prayer. Starting at um, verse 13, here's how he prayed. Now remember in verse one, God interact, we need you to intervene. Now, verse 13, here's what he wanted God to do. He said, oh God, make them, who's them? The enemies of the nation of Israel, enemies of God and his truth, our enemies, make them like whirling dust, like chaff before the wind. Look at verse 15. Pursue them with your tempest and terrify them with your storm. Fill their faces with dishonor that they may seek your name, O Lord. Let them be ashamed and dismayed forever. And let them be humiliated and perish. That they may know that you alone, whose name is the Lord, only you, Lord, are the most high, the most high God over all the earth. It's a pretty blunt prayer. God defend us. And take care of them. Defeat them defeat them now how do we reconcile that kind of praying as disciples of Jesus with his teaching that we are to love your enemies pray for those who persecute you bless those who harm you how do we reconcile this kind of praying for God to destroy the enemies with Jesus teaching to turn the other the other cheek how do we reconcile all that? Because we can't just stick our head in the sand and ignore it. We have to, what, what does all this mean for us as people who love Jesus and follow Jesus? Well, let me help you this way. In Scripture, there are different responsibilities and different duties and different expectations given to government and to nations than what are given to individuals and to disciples. See, God established government and nations, and there's two things they're supposed to do. One, protect and defend the citizens, innocent people. Protect and defend them. Number two, punish evil. Punish criminals. Punish evildoers. The government, the Bible teaches, executes the, the sword of judgment on behalf of God against evil. That's government's role. That's the reason the Bible says that you and I individually are not to take vengeance. Why? Vengeance belongs to the Lord on the judgment day, and he's established authorities and government 
a justice system. So individually, this is not the Wild West where I carry out my own justice. God's given that duty to himself and to government. Now, you and me, followers of Jesus, yes, we participate in the justice system. We participate in the nation and in the government, but I don't take the gun and go get my vengeance myself. We have the task of loving them. But you can love someone and support the government doing its job. Did you hear that? Just because you love your enemy doesn't mean you, you want a weak government. You want a government that doesn't believe in law and order. You want a government that doesn't believe in justice and protecting citizens and the innocent and the vulnerable. You, doesn't mean you don't want a government that, that doesn't believe in law and prison and punishment. Because without, without government, all you have is chaos and abuse. Now us, I think we ought to do what the psalmist did, pray. So let me give you, I'm going to do this real fast. You need to write them down fast. I'm going to give you 11 suggestions for how to pray about all this stuff. So you just keep your heart right. Asking God to work and intervene. And if you don't get all of these, email me and I, or, or something and I will send them to you or uh, staff, tech, people. Let's get them out on our social media this week, okay? Help me remember that. Because um, I won't remember it tomorrow. I, I'm 65, I don't remember things. All right, here's, here's 12 suggestions for praying. Number one, I think it's okay, I do this, I think it's okay for you to pray for evil leaders to be removed or to die. For truly evil leaders, pray for them to be removed from power or die peacefully in their sleep hopefully but I think that's okay that's what the psalmist did number two pray for evil movements and evil nations to collapse or be defeated I pray for North Korea to end as a, as a totalitarian regime I pray for a new kind of leadership in Russia. Number three, pray for false religions and philosophies to fade away, to become part of the dustbin of history. Number four, pray for people who are in evil systems and philosophies and movements and religions to encounter Jesus. Last Sunday, we had Brother Philip up here who's, who's moved here from, from Amman, Jordan and spent the last 25 years sharing the gospel and planting churches in the Middle East and in places that were risky. And listen, do you know how God wins, some, sometimes wins Muslims, brings them to Jesus? You hear story like that, stories like this all the time. Muslims who had a dream in the middle of the night while they were asleep, they had a dream of an angel or Jesus and it shook their world. So I pray all the time, not just for Muslims, but I pray for people who are far from God, whose hearts are hard, who are stubborn and obstinate. I pray one night while they're in their bed sleeping soundly that Jesus comes to them in a dream and it just shakes them to the core of their being. For Jesus to reveal himself to them and for them to encounter him because we want them to know Jesus. Number five, I pray for the safety and security of God's people as well as the nation of Israel. 
Number six, pray for the welfare of innocent people and innocent victims caught in the middle of conflict and war. There are so many people in Gaza right now who are innocent and they're just trapped. And we need to care about that, care about them and pray for them. We need to pray, number seven, for God's intervention as the psalmist did in verse one. Number eight, pray for victory over evil and the evil one because we know that the father of all lies and the force behind all this wickedness is none other than Satan himself. So I pray for God's kingdom to come and for him to lose. Number nine, pray for your own steadfastness, your own courage, and your own faithfulness as a follower of Jesus. Number 10, pray for other believers especially those living in dangerous places. Number 11, pray for the Holy Spirit to teach me, to teach you, to teach us how to love those who don't love us, how to love our enemies. And, I, I don't, and by that, I don't mean just, well, yeah, I love them. No, I mean love them. Love them. Don't allow all that's going on in this culture when you, as, you, as you stand for truth. Do not allow it to rob you of the love Jesus has put in your heart for people who are crazy. Love them. And you can speak the truth and you don't have to be mean. And listen, some people will think you're mean just because you contradict them, just because you speak the truth. That doesn't mean you're being mean. By the way, if they disagree with you, are they being mean because they disagree with you? If you're mean because you disagree with them, doesn't it logically mean they're mean because they disagree? No, disagreeing, standing for truth does not mean you're mean unless you're mean in how you go about it. You hear me? And for you young students, that's, that's what's, you're hammered. You're, you, you're, you're hurting people's feelings. You're being mean. No, well, if they don't agree with you, why is it not, why is the opposite not true? Why are they not being mean for not agreeing with you? If you're mean because you don't agree with them, aren't they mean for not agreeing with you? That's logical. So no, 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 no. Stand for the truth, but do it with kindness. And that's the reason I harp so much. Would you please stop watching Fox News and CNN every night for three hours? It's just making you mad and mean. Stop it. Now, I've gone a little longer. I hope this has helped some of you in some ways. Once you stand, we're going to have a time of worship and praying and inviting you to make decisions for Jesus. There, there'll be two or three pastors down here at the front. If you want to pray with someone, come and pray with one of our pastors or we have other people who are ready to pray with you. If you want to join First Baptist or ask for baptism, or become a follower of Jesus, or maybe you recently accepted Jesus and you want to publicly share that and ask for baptism, come to one of these pastors. But I'm opening the altar. I want you to just come and get on your knees and pray for Christians who are in danger. Pray for the peace in the Middle East and for the nation of Israel. Pray your own courage. Pray for the, for the collapse of evil. Some of the things we talked about, just come and get on your knees here at the altar and talk to God. I know this is a, not a pleasant subject, but it's an important one. And I want you to pray more than you talk. Talk.